And welcome back to Harry Potter and the Reread Podcast. I am your host, David Jensen, and joined, as always, with Kyle Jans. Kyle, how are you? We did it, David. We finished the book. The first and smallest book. The first and smallest book, and it feels like such a monumental achievement. I know, I I think you and I both have some, like, like reading goals this year, right? For 2021, getting a certain number of books in. So this is one off the list. I wasn't counting these because I'd already read them, but maybe I should. Always count the rereads. There's definitely some uh, there's definitely some loops and some technical loopholes that you can do. I started reading a bunch of books in 2020, and some of them I was like a third or two thirds of the way through. And then I read the final third in 2021. I checked it off. So <laughs> I read a book between like December 26th and December 31st, and then finished it in that period and then was annoyed when it didn't count to my 2021 Uh, that's poor planning you should have just saved like the last page for january 1st or something (laughs) yeah but we 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 did it as i said we are now going to finish this book here today we're going to talk about uh the, the final chapter here chapter 2017 the man with two faces we finally learn who that is and then you and i are just gonna gonna go through the book a little bit and and give some of our our final thoughts on on what we thought reading through these couple hundred first pages of the harry potter saga uh yeah a nice look back at to what went down um what sort of sticks out in our mind that kind of thing why don't you take us away then and let's uh let's get started let's run through this and and get right into it All right, sounds great. So as we left off in the last chapter, Harry had made it through the fire, literal and figurative fire, was face to face with a stranger that he did not expect. And that stranger is Professor Quirrell. Harry is pretty shocked because he was obviously convinced it was Snape. And Quirrell explains that Snape was actually pretty helpful acting as a red herring, but he also explains that Snape was out there, uh, he had figured out what Quirrell was up to and was out there blocking his plans. when. Harry was playing Quidditch and lost control of his broom. That was Quirrell, not Snape. Snape was doing a counter curse, but Hermione knocked Quirrell over when she went to try and distract Snape. On Halloween, when Quirrell let the troll in, he wanted to go see what was guarding the trap door, and Snape cut him off because he knew that that's what he was up to. So Quirrell ties up Harry and goes to look at the mirror uh, that's in the room there with them. Harry notices that it is the mirror of Irizet and decides that the best he can do at that moment is just try and keep Quirrell distracted. So he mentions hearing him him and Snape in the forest, and he mentions hearing Quirrell crying in that classroom the one day. And Quirrell says that actually wasn't Snape, but that was his master who was with him wherever he goes. That master is Voldemort. Quirrell had met Voldemort when he was traveling the world, and Voldemort showed him that there is no good or evil, only power. So Quirrell goes back to the mirror, when he looks at it, all he can see is himself presenting the stone to Voldemort, but he, it does not showing him where it's hidden. So Harry had realized at that moment, his deepest desire was to figure out where the stone is so that Quirrell can't get it. So he kept trying to get like his eyes onto the mirror, but no luck, the ropes are too tight. So after not being able to figure out what to do with the mirror, a voice came from Quirrell that was not Quirrell's voice that said, use the boy. So Quirrell drops the ropes, brings Harry over, puts him in front of the mirror. Harry sees his reflection in the mirror and he actually sees the reflective version of himself, take the stone, stick it in his pocket. And then at that moment, Harry actually felt the stone being put in his pocket. 
So Quirrell asks Harry what he sees, and Harry comes up with a lie in the spot that he's shaking hands with Dumbledore and he's won the House Cup for Gryffindor, which is a pretty good lie. He tries to sneak away, uh, and then a voice, that voice that comes from Quirrell that's not Quirrell's voice, speaks again. He lies and then says, let me speak to him. So Quirrell unwraps his turban, and we learn that on the back of his head was a face with glaring red eyes and slits for nostrils, being Voldemort. So Voldemort talks to Harry for a bit, lamenting what had become of him. And then he asks for the stone in Harry's pocket, somehow knowing that it was there. Harry refuses to give Voldemort the stone, so Voldemort tells Quirrell to kill him. Quirrell grabs at him, but when he does, his hand actually starts to burn upon touching Harry. So then he goes to use some magic to do it. And Harry, unsure of what to do, just reaches out and grabs Quirrell's face, um, hoping that the burning would happen that way. And it does. Now Quirrell's face is all um, blistering at the touch of Harry. Uh, so Harry knows that the only way he's going to survive this is if he doesn't let go of Quirrell. And so he does whatever he can to, to keep grasp of him. And as he's blacking out, all he hears are the sounds of Voldemort screaming to kill him and some voices in his head yelling, Harry, Harry. Three days later, Harry wakes up in the infirmary uh, with Dumbledore uh, chilling beside his bed. Dumbledore explains that Harry prevented Quirrell from getting the stone and that the stone is going to be destroyed, which means that Nicholas Flamel and his wife, Perinelle, are going to die. But at this point, dying is just the next adventure. Harry's surrounded by gifts and sweets from his admirers as the whole school now knows what had happened in the trapdoor area. Dumbledore explains that as soon as he had got to London, he realized he needed to be back at the school and immediately turned around, headed back and arrived just at the moment to pull Quirrell off of Harry. They talk about a little bit about how Voldemort is still out there and Harry asks Dumbledore if he can shed some light on a few topics. First thing he wants to know is why did Voldemort want to kill him in the first place? Dumbledore says this is the one thing he can't tell him and that he'll have to wait a little bit until he's older to learn that. So then we move on to why, why couldn't Quirrell touch him, which is we learn that Voldemort doesn't understand love and because of Harry's mother's sacrifice, he is marked with love and that somebody like Quirrell, who's tainted with the presence of Voldemort sort of infesting their spirit, he couldn't handle that mark. Then Harry wants to know about the invisibility cloak and Dumbledore admits that yes, his father left it with him, and so he gave it back to him. He wants to know why Snape hates him. And it turns out that James, who Snape and James did not get along in school, which we talked about before, um, but apparently at some point in time, James had actually saved Snape's life, and Snape couldn't forgive him for that. And then he wants to know how he actually got the stone. So this was one of Dumbledore's smart ideas, that the only way to get the stone would be to want the stone but not want to use it. Question time is over and they're going to settle down for some birdie bots every flavored beans. Dumbledore says he doesn't like these because he had a vomit flavored one uh, in his youth and he goes for what he thinks is toffee but turns out earwax. Harry is next visited by Hermione and Ron and they explain exactly what had happened uh, from their perspective and he filled in all the blanks on what he had gone through. So Hermione went back through the fire got Ron and they went to send it, uh, they were on their way to send the owl to Dumbledore, but Dumbledore was already back. Harry explains that he thinks Dumbledore might've actually been preparing him all year for that moment. But without Harry, Ron explains that Gryffindor lost to Ravenclaw in the last Quidditch match and Slytherin has won the house cup. The next day, Hagrid comes by and he's a wreck 
blaming himself for pretty much everything. But he had put together a, a really nice present for Harry of pictures of his parents that he had got from uh, Harry's parents' friends. The next night, or that night, sorry, Harry heads down to the end of the year feast. The hall is all decked out in Slytherin colors. And the final house points are as follows. Gryffindor in fourth place with 312 points. Hufflepuff has 352. Ravenclaw has 326. And Slytherin has 472 points. Dumbledore says before we can celebrate, he has some last minute points to award. Ron gets 50 points for the best chess game. Hermione gets 50 points for the cool use of logic in the face of fire. Harry gets 60 points for pure nerve and outstanding courage, which ties them right up with Slytherin. And then Neville gets 10 final points for having the bravery to stand up to his friends, which gave uh, Gryffindor the House Cup victory. Exam results come in. Harry and Ron both did well. Hermione is the top of the class. And then they board the train up and, and head home for the summer. When they get back to London, they're met by Ron's family. Molly tried to be polite and introduced herself to Uncle Vernon, who just kind of gruffly requests that Harry hurry up. Uh, we sort of end with the comment that Harry's excited for the summer because the Dursleys don't know that he's not allowed to use magic outside of school. So he's going to have a lot of fun with Dudley this summer. And that is the end of the book. Then they live happily ever after, right? Yeah, that would be a great end. <laughs> no more. You didn't need any more books after this. It was nope. everything wrapped up. <laughs> that is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Let, let, let's start off with our, our thoughts here on, it really kicks off like getting right into it. We, we learn that it is Quirrell right away. I, I kind of found this part interesting because it kind of gave me like, scooby-doo vibes right off the beginning it was like oh i would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids and that type of thing or like just how rapid fire a lot of these like things that all of a sudden you learn from him like it's a lot of show not tell if that makes sense all of a sudden it's just quirrell explaining every single little thing that he had done and it kind of summarizes the book in a very neat little package right away it does it does it, it's a. Uh... <laughs> Were you paying attention? Because if you weren't, here's all the things you might have missed. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Which I guess when you think of like the readership or the age of what they were working with at the time, it, it makes sense. But I just, I thought it was pretty funny to like how quickly we all of a sudden learn that like, oh, it was Quirrell trying to kill him and Snape tried to save you. He made himself look bad and it helped me. I set out that troll at Halloween, by the way, all within like three paragraphs. <laughs> yeah. Anything left. Uh there's nothing left to explain at the end of here. <laughs> I thought it's a good twist, though, especially I think if you're a first time reader and you don't know what's going to happen. I don't know that you're going to guess it's Coral. You might guess that it's not Snape, but I, I don't know that you're going to pick out Coral to be the one. I guess he'd become a little bit more prominent as the book uh, got towards the end. But I think it's a pretty good twist. It um, is. Yeah. I mean, you don't you don't expect it because I think I remember saying it earlier, but like you don't really get any one on one interaction with Quirrell throughout the book. He's a fairly minor character. One of the things I think they they hide him in plain sight with his stutter. Mm -hmm. He explains it in their confrontation as well. Yeah. Nobody would suspect st st stuttering pr Professor Quirrell. And I, I think it's true. I, I think whether right or wrong, I think people look at that. And how that, that persona he's putting forward as sort of this meek guy and he blends into the background. It's uh, true. Yeah. I mean, which I that... guess if you're a criminal, 
mastermind uh, is probably not a bad strategy. Have you ever seen the movie Usual Suspects? Well, uh, the answer is definitely no. I, I don't watch a lot of movies. Well, <laughs> it's a great movie, uh, and we're wailed past the statute of limitations, but the concept there is these like nine criminals are all suspected of being this mastermind criminal and they can't figure out who it is. And, and one of them is pretending to be disabled, like physically disabled and he's so meek. And then he's a super mastermind criminal. It's a really good movie, but I've now just spoiled it. So I don't know. That, that's okay. It was probably came out many, many years ago. So it's uh, all good. 19. Oh, if we're going 19. Guess, yeah. If we're going 1900s, that's, that's over I, 21 I years ago. 1997. <laughs> uh, 1995 all right yeah so that that that's well past statute of limitations there still for worth sure. the watch if you're looking for a good crime i'll, I'll check it out but but you make a really good point though like quarrel the only thing that we really learn about on this book is that he's pathetic he's a questionable defense against the dark arts teacher they don't think he's very brave or would be able to stand up to the dark arts he's yeah like you mentioned he's stuttering all the time anytime that we do see him we assume that he's getting bullied or harassed by by snape there's yeah. nothing nothing that leads to you suspecting him until maybe you read like the second time around and you can kind of see oh well every time that something suspicious is going on quarrels there. there right yeah. even going back to gringotts right at the beginning because that day was the day that the stone was being stolen from and quarrel was there he met yeah him. that you know what that that got past me when my rereading thing it didn't occur to me i know that somebody tried to steal the stone but i don't know if i ever put two and two together that it was quarrel Mm -hmm. uh, it makes a ton of sense now, obviously, but I, I don't think I've ever uh, put those together until I really deeply read it. I mean, obviously, I guess I knew it because I would have read those words, but I also might have skipped over those particular words. We, um, we obviously never hear from from Quirrell either ever again, right? Like he's gone. I assume he dead. dies. He dies after this. We'll talk right? about it. He's dead. All right. He dies. But I don't know. I feel like it would have been interesting to see like a prequel or just to see what Quirrell was actually like, because it kind of seems like he just put on an act the entire yeah. time. I'd be curious. Really I'd be know. curious to know a little bit more about him. That's all. Yeah. I don't think we really know. All we know is that in this situation, he did a terrible job in terms of the confrontation piece. Like he never really had control of the situation. It's true. He's an adult and he couldn't physically overpower Harry when Harry's trying to wrestle him. I get it. Every time he touches him, it burns, but you can't push him off, get like 10 feet of distance and use magic. His inability to use magic to solve his problems at the end is mind blowing. <laughs> well, that's the thing that got me. And it is one of the things that I did say that doesn't make sense is he had control right at the beginning when he had Harry tied up in ropes. Yeah. Why didn't he just get those ropes tied up again? Like you said, why didn't he use magic? He, he's a human. He's a human, be a human being. He's an adult. He is, Harry is also a human, but he is an adult and he is capable of some pretty dark magic, I'm going to assume, because he would have had to have done something pretty freaky to get Voldemort to like share his body on the back of his head. So this guy is clearly capable of, of doing things, I feel like, when it comes within the realm of magic. He, is but a, then, he has magical abilities for sure. But then, yeah, he just kind of, he lost it, lost total control. And it was kind of, yeah, embarrassing for him. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, Harry gets incredibly lucky here. He has no plan on how he's going to get away with the stone. No. And it's just, 
so um, fortunate, I guess, that Quirrell can't physically take hold of him. Uh, and because of that, not only can he not take hold of him or is unable to kill him, but Harry's able to harm him mm-hmm. in a way that otherwise he, Harry doesn't have. I don't even know if Harry has his wand at this point. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point. Like he just kind of, yeah, he stumbles into the situation. And usually for a kid who has a plan, he no plan. didn't have a plan this time, which you can't really blame him because I think it was the last person he expected. I don't think he would have yeah. ever guessed what was going to go on there, but no, I don't he, think so. he does luck out in a big way there. And he, I, I, I'll give him some credit. Like his, he, he realized what was happening and he made attempts to distract Quirrell to kind of keep him talking to try and keep his focus drawn from trying to get the stone. And he realized how to get the stone when he saw it. Mm-hmm. He's like, what I need now is my deepest desire to be to get the stone. Because yeah. he said, let me see where it's, he was. He thought that mirror would show him where it was hidden. Yeah. Um, but that's clever in the moment still. But all in all, I mean, I think it's a pretty exciting uh, confrontation to, to wrap up the, the story. It's, it's his first of many confrontations with with Voldemort obviously getting you know more dangerous and exciting as as time goes on but it definitely yeah it sets the bar for what's going to be makes for a really good story and a really good series going on definitely anything else about Quirrell you want to talk about no I just yeah I really wish that I could learn more about him what he was actually like instead of who he was in in this it it was just a big guy you don't he out of all the defense against the dark arts instructors that that come along maybe we can do this after book six or seven or whatever we should we should rank them all after we read them but like he's Uh, he's the most useless of them i i'd gotta say and i just i don't know you also know actually mad eye moody never mind we'll we'll get into that but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. Let's rank. We'll rank some stuff in our recaps here. Uh, maybe, yeah. not, maybe next time. Uh, but we'll keep some some ranking ideas and thing. So I just want to quickly touch on on a couple of characters, just mm-hmm. really quick to cycle back because we got a little bit more um, insight into where they were at. So let's start with Snape because we had talked about him a few times. We obviously had a chapter called the Potions Master, and we were talking about why Snape treated Harry so poorly. At that time, neither of us mentioned the Snape-James relationship where James saved him and that resentment. I think it makes Snape's actions more believable. Again, I still don't think it's great. Like, you shouldn't really be bullying a child you're teaching. But I I do understand them a little bit more. Like, it can be hard when someone you really, really dislike or, or you really find as, like, a rival then kind of puts that aside to help you and, in this case, save you. So I get it. I don't love it. It doesn't make me, it doesn't really excuse his behavior, but I guess it gives a little bit more insight into Snape. Yeah, I just, yeah, I didn't really know where his motives began. I always assumed that the reason that he hated him was just given because that James was an ass to him. And I assumed maybe that he was only in the the business of, of saving and protecting Harry, just given his agreements with Dumbledore and that type of thing so it, was, it made for an interesting uh an interesting kind of read and and something that I realized too that I want to pay a little bit closer attention to this time around because I don't think I can as easily recall like the James Lily Snape dynamic to it so I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to doing that more can I talk about I think, Hagrid yeah go for it <laughs> do you remember the other week when I said hey, he's a bit of an alcoholic. And I do. I, you were taken aback a little bit. 
but I was wrong. You were wrong in this chapter because Hagrid, as soon as he sees Harry and realizes all the trouble that he's been in, he's like, oh, apologizing profusely. And he says, I'll never drink again. That's something that a guy with a, there's only two times that people say that they're either saying they're never drinking again when they're experiencing a really bad hangover. And then of course they do drink again, or if they are sober, which we can believe that Hagrid would be at this point saying I'll never drink again. It's because he probably has a genuine problem with it. And it led to some pretty bad results for him in this case. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't, it didn't work out well. Uh, what I did like, though, I, we we again got the the opposite flip side of Hagrid. We got like the both sides of him again. Is the present he brought, uh, like that, that just shows how much he understands Harry in a way that I don't think a lot of people do. I don't know how many other people in this universe would have thought about getting Harry something like that. Yeah, getting like. like he, he made the effort to go reach out to all these old friends of, of James and Lily Potter to put together this, this photo album. And that is actually probably one of the, mo- the kindest, most genuine gestures, definitely in this entire book. Maybe the I thought series, about, I don't know. Would this even qualify him for the MVP of this chapter? It doesn't. It doesn't. We'll give him some honorary consideration because that the fact Harry can't even speak after receiving it, it says a lot. Yeah. Um, Hagrid went from a guy and we, we'll probably get into this a little bit more, but like I had high, I don't know, high hopes for him at the beginning. I feel like he was knocking it out of the park with MVPs and then he was racking up LVPs on, on my behalf anyway, later on. Yeah, so he had an up and down. I'm curious to see where he lands on that. We'll talk about it later, but overall that, that gift there, like you said, there, there's some real compassion and some real thought behind it. So I, I, I give him some credit for that. Our other big um, character in this chapter is, of course, Dumbledore. I just want to start with the way he hid the stone. Because last time we had talked about how the other things leading up to this were pretty much stupid, like pretty useless Mm -hmm. in general. This enchantment was incredible because there is literally no possible way that Quirrell or Voldemort would ever have been able to get it. Yeah. No, I thought about it for a bit and I was like, well, maybe the plot hole because Quirrell could technically get it because he doesn't plan to use it but he plans to get it for someone who does want to use it so there's still that intention there Harry does not care about living forever he just wants what's for the best and so for that reason alone yeah like it's it's a really well thought out enchantment and I guess probably like the final leg of the whole through the trap door portion of it and that is by far the strongest one yeah and no amount of magic is gonna stop that. No, assuming be- you can't. Assuming you can't unravel. Like I, I, I don't know in this universe. I know in some other fantasy universes you can like see magic and you can like unweave them as if they were like weaves. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that's the sense I've gotten here. Yeah. So I, I don't. I think it's it's almost foolproof <laughs> unless it's- some random kid shows up and takes it for you and then you take it for the kid. We'll yeah, kind, kind of a happy coincidence there. But yeah, it, it it comes down to your genuine intentions, and that's something that you can't fool or trick anyone with. Because what we learned about the mirror is the mirror doesn't care what you say. The mirror doesn't care what you think. You think it it's able to. The purpose of the mirror is it tells you what you are thinking, whether you want to accept it or not. So, the, 
the other thing that I find really interesting with Dumbledore in this chapter and this book in general is like Harry comes to the realization that, hey, Dumbledore is like testing my limits. He's training me. He's grooming me a little bit in a way almost. And a lot of the actions that we see from Dumbledore earlier on in the book, like what are you doing given this 11 year old kid in invisibility cloak does he need that does he does he need to be you know looking at this mirror all the time all these things were actually well thought out by Dumbledore in advance yeah I mean we have there's a quote in there from Ron and he says do you think he meant you to do it and yes we had talked about oh, it earlier yeah. that we were gonna we were gonna keep our eye on this I think he did I yeah. think the only thing that didn't go Dumbledore's way is I don't think he expected it to happen when he was leaving, like when he left the school, he wasn't thinking, oh, this is the night it's all going down. Yeah. So we're like, obviously he's not infallible. We see this, but we also see he like immediately recognizes that he shouldn't have done that and comes back in enough time. He was expecting it. And it's almost like there was that throwaway quote um, in the mirror of Irizet chapter that we said, we, we commented, we pulled it out. We said, we need to watch, we need to watch out for this. And the quote was something along the lines of, if you come across this mirror, you will know what to do. And you were hypothesizing at the time, do you think that's a setup for he'll know how to get the stone out of it? And I thought at the time, it might just be, here's how you don't get um, trapped by it. Yeah. But I think now looking back, seeing what Dumbledore said, seeing some of the actions, I think there's no doubt he was explaining, like, if you come across this again, it reveals your deepest desire, do with that what you may. Yeah, exactly. Um, he, he's really good at saying just enough he's challenged once and, and he, he says just enough without actually telling you that he's like not withholding all the information if that makes sense the only time that that does happen this chapter is once harry wants to learn more about like why voldemort actually wants to kill him and that's when he's like well you got you got to be a bit older for that you know i put you in terrible danger you almost died today and you might almost die again in the future but i'll tell you about that a little bit later <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you think he almost died? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Because I, I, I think there's a quote, I'd have to go back and see it. But there is genuine concern from Dumbledore, when he's reflecting about how he arrived Harry, just in time about yeah. how he arrived just in time. I, think... see, I guess he was passing out, right? So if he yeah. passed out, he wouldn't be able to make contact and then Coral can maybe gather himself. Um, that's yeah. true. So I, I think that there was a genuine concern from uh from Dumbledore in, in that moment and then yeah just kind of interesting also how he how he kind of tells him things without telling him things and and gives him little little crumbs of information but then that was one time that you know Harry was bold and asked straight up and well, I mean not naturally he... so I'd want to know why someone wanted me dead too do you think he should have told him I'm torn on that because I think if someone asks and i think after going through all that harry kind of proved that he's able to but at the same time you're 11 years old so you there there, there are more important things to learn and that, and that's a difficult it's a very difficult question because it's like you need to have a certain maturity level and harry definitely doesn't have that yet but he is more mature than any other character his age in the book yeah what do you think I think it's probably right to hold it off at this point. 
um, and being we're obviously we're not talking horcruxes we're talking the prophecy the prophecy yeah. is the issue one one can for only one can live yeah. while the other neither can live while the other remains that's it that's it is yeah. some is roughly what the the prophecy is and that we know that dumbledore has known about it the whole time we know that's what kicked off is the murder of his parents to begin with like we learn we learn all that later i don't know what the advantage of telling him now is we just talked about we being harry and dumbledore we just talked about how Voldemort is probably still out there you tell him this prophecy you're now he like you're gonna see Dumb you're gonna see voldemort behind every shadow right yeah you're gonna be thinking he's coming for me especially after you send him off to go live with this muggle aunt and uncle again on supervised yeah. that type of thing that's fair so I, I think i think probably i don't know i don't know what he could have got out of it at this point does he need to know about it before he ends up going in and stealing it from the hall of yes do they wait too long yes um, but at this point at this point i think it's okay the other thing dumbledore did one other thing here and uh he essentially gave the house cup to gryffindor um so let me walk let me walk through this uh, a few things so he, gryffindor goes 170 points take them from fourth place to first place which meant if we cycle back to a couple chapters ago when they lost 150 points in one night that would have been over 30% of the points they would have had roughly mm-hmm. at that time. I think it's crazy that she took that many points away. So I, I wonder, I wonder if this is a bit of, let me make it right. That was, that was unreasonable. Let me make it right. Yeah. On top of that, you also did some pretty crazy stuff down there. So here's some bonus. At the same time, kind of felt like he gave the cup to Gryffindor. Well, yeah, he kind of gave it to them in like the most like, taunting of ways to slytherins too where it's like here's a here's 50 here's 50 then you know your slytherin knows they're 60 points up oh but harry you get 60 and like what's the differentiation what what did harry do that was 10 points better than what either hermione or ron contributed i guess you could argue that it was the final battle or whatever but like well why not just give all three well so it's valid my first, my first question is, did all four Gryffindors deserve points to begin with? I think Neville did. I think Harry did. He had to stare down Voldemort. I don't know that Ron and Hermione deserved it as much. Because, again, there wasn't really any danger. And I guess this is where it all comes back to. Not having a clear system is going to drive me crazy. And I was like, Slytherin, so- I would have been irate. Because I guess if you think about, if you take it outside of, the system like outside of the moment and you say okay ron beat professor mcgonagall at chess is that worth points yeah probably but i don't know because you don't have a system it's an incredibly subjective process and it makes it makes no sense to me because it's not like yeah there was no set amount for winning chess like dumbledore took the time to add everything up and then make neville the hero essentially i know you said that you thought neville that you know deserved points i don't think so i think it's great that he did that but there's plenty of other people who do the same thing and don't get any points for such a thing i just i don't know the whole neville thing was interesting to me and i get that like it summarizes or is another addition into his whole character growth and that type of thing but that was a real subjective one to me that just didn't make sense. These kids got not coddled, but like got greatly helped by Dumbledore, who essentially just decided it. 
And like, yeah. why not award, if you're going to award them, why not award them sooner than three days or whatever when Harry has been knocked out, right? Why save it right for the very end? It was <laughs> a little. piss off a bunch of people. AKA it was Slithers. a little on the nose, everything the, about it. The yeah. timing is, is off. Yeah. Again, uh, we'll, maybe we'll talk. I don't know if I put this in my biggest thing that didn't make sense. I didn't, but we'll, so I'm not, we won't cycle back to it later. I will just say that the rules of the House Cup don't make sense and they should really look at a more arbitrary way to award and remove points because it is unfair. We talked about this a little bit. Uh, the only thing in here that I didn't really remember was the revelation of Snape and James saving Snape in that adding to the the, the relationship between them anything mm-hmm. else that you didn't remember yeah no I, I had forgotten about that um i actually don't recall how so i'm curious to i'm not going to look it up i'm going to i don't until... know i don't know that we ever find out if we do i don't if, remember if we do it's probably in the sixth book somewhere so i don't mm-hmm. think we're going to learn for a while i'm curious though i had i knew that harry got himself into the situation and then again i think a lot of what i compare to the series i think of like the video games and in lego harry potter you just cast spells at quarrel and voldemort until they die and you can collect enough lego bricks to to move on there's no lego bricks in this book no and i i had kind of just forgotten that harry just had to touch quarrel so I, I had forgotten about that touch thing and then yeah the other thing that i mentioned because like you would you would mention it at the beginning because i had brought it up but like I had totally forgotten that Quirrell was at Gringotts that day when they ran into him when he was attempting to steal it. So I thought that was kind of interesting to, to pull back on that. And then it was kind of like, ah, of course. So those were a couple of things that I just had forgotten about. I had a few things that didn't make sense. We talked about we talked about kind of Quirrell's whole performance at the end. We won't have to go into that again. Mm-hmm. How Voldemort sort of occupied his head, but that doesn't really usually that's not really what we usually really talk about in this section i actually think that most characters sort of acted reasonably uh like what they did was reasonable what we would have reasonably expected from them in the situations they found themselves in Mm -hmm. how they got into those situations we're not going to dwell on that but once they were in that situation other than kind of quarrel not using magic everything else sort of made sense to me yeah, no, I, I thought Quirrell's uh, reaction to Harry and not being able to control the situation didn't make sense to me when he could have easily cast magic or used those handy ropes that he used from the beginning. So right. there was that. And then it, this could also be discussed here. It could be discussed as like an overall thing that didn't make sense about the book. But why did Dumbledore not suspect Quirrell at all? Do we know that Dumbledore didn't suspect Quirrell? I guess we don't know that for sure that, that that's an, an assumption on on my part but at the same time like if you're thinking about like risk mitigation at all or anything like if you're Dumbledore why would you if you knew that Voldemort was on the back of Quirrell's head why would you even allow that in the first place to happen it just kind of feels like you're setting yourself up for a lot more chaos and trouble than would need to be if you just didn't hire Professor Quirrell in the first place. Yeah, so I, I guess to me, I don't know if he would have known that Voldemort was like physically there. I think he probably suspected him and had his eye on him and thought, if I keep him here, I can watch to see what's going on. But we know he's not infallible. Like we, he got tricked to leaving the castle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't understand what didn't make sense to me here 
uh, now that you were talking about Dumbledore, is why didn't Snape bring his objections? Like I would again, we don't know that they didn't, but I would have thought Snape's like severe um, suspect, uh, suspicion, sorry, of, of Coral would have made its way to Dumbledore, and we might have seen them act a little bit differently. Well, yeah, not to mention like Snape's loyalty to Dumbledore in those situations mm-hmm. too. That's a really good point, actually. But again, it could be Snape went to him. Maybe Snape was suspicious because Dumbledore told him to watch out for him. We don't really know without seeing kind of what some other characters were It's doing. true. Yeah, there's a lot that we make assumptions of just because we're only seeing this story generally from Harry's point of view. Any other final thoughts on this chapter? No, but I have a lot of quotes from this yeah i have a couple quotes too i do have one more thought just kind of a throwaway i like when coral revealed that snape refereeing the quidditch game was dumb because it's not like he could have tried anything again when dumbledore was there which is the exact same point that we made when we went over that quidditch game which is what are you accomplishing it just makes you look like an idiot exactly i I appreciate that coral agreed with us okay (laughs) i have three quotes how many do you have five okay so you better start We'll go, we'll, we'll go in back and forth. So the, the first one that came out was Quirrell, uh, his lesson to, from Voldemort being that there is no good and evil, only power and those too weak to seek it. I think that, I mean, you can take that quote as, as it is. You might not necessarily think it's true. I still believe that there's, there's good and evil for sure. But uh, I just, I don't know. I thought it was an interesting, uh, interesting perspective to have as someone who's trying to validate their shitty behavior so i think it's definitely a quote that someone who doesn't want to see their own actions being perceived negatively would would say i think there's definitely good and evil and there's also lots of gray Um, yeah there's not only good and evil for sure uh that was also one of the quotes i had and the other thing i had on that quote is i thought that quote came from star wars i would (laughs) have you could have said hey do you know this quote and i would have been like yeah that's emperor palpatine in star wars uh and clearly (laughs) it's not um professor okay, so that was Quirrell, my, page yeah. 286 yeah yeah so that was my first one what else you got this one i, I just found genuinely hilarious but uh it's when afterwards harry's in the hospital wing and and dumbledore's there and he says harry please relax or madame pomfrey will have me thrown out and i i love the line because even though he's the most powerful person in the castle Madame Pomfrey still owns that hospital wing and is the yeah. boss. And I feel like it just says so much about her with that one line. So I loved it. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that too. Um, also, when they were having that conversation, when they started talking about the invisibility cloak, there was a quote that came up with, your father used it mainly for sneaking off to the kitchens to sneak food when he was here. And that is what I said I would do with it because that's a way smarter use than going to the library. It's true. You could get all the food you want. And yeah, there's, there's better things you can do than I mean, learn. Yeah, exactly. It, okay, you're, yeah, you're either, yeah, you're off causing chaos and spying on people or that type of thing, or you're off getting food. And we know that they have good food at Hogwarts. Exactly. <laughs> uh, an, another one that just made me laugh out loud, but was uh, uh, same conversation again, Dumbledore. Dumbledore just had so many this one. He spoke a lot. He did, more so than in any other chapter at this point. What happened down in the dungeons between you and Coral is a complete secret, so naturally the whole school knows. 
I just, I, I don't know if there's a good, good sense of solid uh, sense of humor from, from uh, Dumbledore there. And he's got a bit of that dry, sarcastic wit to him as well, yes. which is kind of something I thought was interesting. To the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. Um, Dumbledore talking about Nicholas Flamel and his wife who were going that's to one, die. That's one you're going to find on inspirational posters. Yep. It, it's a classic one. It's probably one of the best from the book, I'd say. Not only for like what it means about transcending into the next life or whatever and finding peace with that, but it's incredible foreshadowing into Dumbledore planning his own death as well i feel like so i just i don't know that's instantly what i kind of thought about when i when i heard it so i really liked that yeah you got one more uh, one more uh, and then another one that's another life lesson and probably one of the more popular ones from this book but fear of a name increases fear of the thing itself naturally if you're not facing your fears or you're not willing to take that on then you're always going to be scared of it and so this was Dumbledore's lesson to Harry in being able to be brave enough to call Voldemort by his name and to not fear it because that just tends to add to this you know dark image of of who this evil guy is and it, it doesn't actually see him for what he is exactly okay so I have one more left Ooh. And this is the quote, all-time iconic quote for me, alas, earwax. <laughs> uh, I use this quote all the time in real life, and I don't think people get it. Um, but this is like, this is the best quote of the whole book, uh, which, spoiler alert for our, on our book recap section. But I just think it's so funny. Just the way he's just, it's him being dry again, like his dry yeah. wit he goes and he's just, alas, earwax and so all the time i'll go alas and sometimes i'll say earwax and sometimes i'll i'll fill in another noun but i just loved i just love that quote when we started planning out what we wanted to talk about when we were trying to pick on like what type of like some good reoccurring um sections would be and i was thinking when we came up with quotes this is the one of the ones that stuck out to me like yeah quotes would be good because i can talk about this it is, it is a good one i mean yeah you know exactly the type of tone that he's taken and like yeah earwax can be used for for anything you can still leave it as earwax but it's just like it's a really great way of just being like well that's life alas just kind of like an ah shit <laughs> it's the equivalent <laughs> yeah all right let's do our most and least valuable and then after this we'll actually be able to uh total up for the books and i'm actually really curious to see how this how this weighs out you want to start with lvp least sure why don't you go first i had to go with quarrel uh i, I feel like everyone you, you had mentioned earlier that everyone kind of reacts or does what we expect of them in this chapter and that it wasn't too unpredictable or things that we wouldn't have remembered so i just the only thing that caught me off guard was just how ill-prepared Quirrell was. So, I mean, I would pick him for not being able to overpower an 11-year-old kid. I'd pick him for siding with Voldemort and kind of, as we learn more about him in this chapter and how evil or how bad of a person he actually is. So, I think just given that big reveal along with just how incapable he was in the situation that I, I had to go with him. Yeah, that's probably fair. Uh, his inability to realize to use magic also mm -hmm. doesn't help. Uh, that's not where I went. For me, again, when we were thinking about topics, this one stuck out to me. The least valuable character in this chapter is Harry Potter. 
and it's not even close. If Harry Potter had not gone through the trap door, Quirrell never would have been able to even have a shot at the stone. There's no way he could have done it. The only way Voldemort had a chance to, even for a fraction of a second, get his hand on the Philosopher's Stone is because Harry thought, I need to be the hero and go get it. He, he, didn't, he didn't go down there. Quirrell stays down there. Voldemort realizes, um, comes back, walks down, gets him. Boom. Plus, low-key, Harry Potter murdered Quirrell. Well, He's that, that's questionable. He attacked him. Maybe not murder. Sorry, maybe not murder, but he definitely killed him. There was manslaughter so, involved. Yeah. Uh, so to me, easy choice. Harry Potter, <laughs> uh, least valuable. Now, that's that's interesting because going to most valuable. Uh, uh, Harry I, Potter's I, also in con- also in conversation. There. <laughs> exactly. That that's the thing, right? I think Harry was acting on the information that he that he knew at the time, thinking, "Hey, that that stone is in danger." So maybe, I, I don't know. I put that on Dumbledore, being like, "Hey, telling Harry, hey, don't get involved because it is impossible." absolutely impossible for them to get to the stone well but dumbledore only he only suspected that they were thinking about because they didn't and i'm not going to ding harry for what he did not do before but if i did it would just emphasize me he didn't want to tell dumbledore what they knew because had he gone that's fair dumbledore would have said if you go down there voldemort can get it if you don't he cannot yeah it would be completely safe so I, I'm, I'm very certain that Harry Potter was the least valuable character in this chapter. Uh, we can flip to most valuable. And we've got, again, we got to start with Harry Potter as the first option, because at the end of the day, he did stop Quirrell. He did cause Voldemort to have to regroup and go delay his plans. And he got the stone and Voldemort did. But that, I'm yeah. not picking Harry Potter. You're not? Uh, Who are you picking? No. I'm going to go with Dumbledore. Yep. Um, last week, we talked about the protections being essentially useless. Turns out that didn't matter because his was almost impossible to defeat without fluke situation happening mm-hmm. that happened. He did leave, but he realized that error fast enough that he was able to travel to London and get back all in the time. So we know that he left sometime in the afternoon because they're because they're talking to Professor McGonagall and she says he's not here. They wait tonight, they go down, and he's back before sometime between the time he left, he realized he was able to get back. And the time it took them roughly to make it mm-hmm. through the, the trapdoor. See, um, did, did he fly or did he flu powder? That's the thing. Or did he operate? It's tough to know. Yeah. Um, he sort of fixed the issue in the house cup that Professor McGonagall caused with her reason, uh, unreasonable amount of point deduction. Mm-hmm. He sort of also just awarded it to not Slytherin. So yeah, maybe <laughs> not great. But um, the other thing I liked here is he knows what is going to be required of Harry later on. Yeah. And he begins to test and push him almost immediately to make sure that when the time comes, he's up to the task. And did he expect that to be four years from now, five years? I don't think so. But he wanted to make sure he was prepared. But at the same time, he didn't push him off. He gave him the cloak and we see that he still keeps his eye on him. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's sort of fitting that I started the chapter, the book off with Dumbledore being least valuable. And here in the last chapter, I am going to give him most valuable. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I did go with uh, with Dumbledore because like everything from we questioned a lot of his plans and a lot of his actions. Like, why are you leaving a baby on a doorstep and, and that type of thing? But I mean, like there's always been a method to his madness from sending Harry to his muggle aunt and uncle right at the beginning to the end of the book 
and preparing Harry for it, there's always been some kind of plan involved. And even if the reader doesn't see it, or if those other characters that in, interact with Dumbledore do not see it, he knows it's there. He has a plan and he knows that it's going to work. And I think that there's, you know, you got to give a lot of respect to a man who can do that. And yeah. also it's actually like, we had said earlier, based on all these these quotes that we get from him, this book, it's the first time that we actually kind of get like some good one-on-one -on -one time with him and yeah. you actually realize how knowledgeable and, and thoughtful he can be. So I, I think just between all the amazing quotes that were there to actually realizing what his end game is here and what he's doing for Harry, yeah, you, you got to go with Dumbledore, I think. No arguments here. Plus Harry was the worst here. Uh, that's it. That's our whole book. So we did it. what were your sort of general thoughts rereading it here? It's a perfect book. <laughs> like it's, 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 it's enjoyable. It's, it's a really, really enjoyable. It's a really fun book to read. It doesn't matter if you're a kid, like reading it is like maybe one of like the first big novels that you would read. It's great, it's fun, it's entertaining, it's nostalgic to read again as as an adult like there's there's so much to really love about it and even though it's like not the most detailed or like demanding of a read like you really get to see the characters grow from page one all the way through the end or from cover to cover and you know you might not realize that the first time you're reading it through but now that we're older and reading it again you can connect with these characters in a different way because you're you're not feel like if you're a kid and you're you know neville getting bullied or whatever or learning to stick up for him for himself as a kid you're reading that and you're like hey i'm experiencing that too but as an adult you've lived through it like through being kind of the key word so now you can look at it again and reflect on it and I just I love that no matter which way you look at it you're, there's something to love about this book yeah absolutely I like that reading it back now for whatever the 10th-ish time whatever how many times it's been I like that I don't remember everything mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm still surprised by a few things nothing major but just some small things that are nice and fun I like re, you know, coming across all the characters, like seeing them grow. I like anticipating what's going to happen and looking at how the decisions they're making in the moment impacts what they're going to do later. So mm -hmm. it's a great book to reread. Obviously, it's a great book to read for the first time. It's it's a great book. And honestly, not every book in this series is a great book. That's true. Um, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, <laughs> but this one is. Um, it starts out really, I remember the first time I read it, oh, man, I was like, if I didn't have a, a personal issue of starting a book and not finishing it, and I could abandon books that don't grip me after the first chapter or two, it starts slow. It does start slow. <laughs> but man, it builds so fast. And the fin like the way you yeah. get from the buildup and then like the race down to the end, it's, it's awesome. I imagine reading it, just reading it, like, let's say whatever, there's 17 chapters here. Let's say you are reading a chapter a day up at the beginning, you're finishing this book in less than 17 days. Oh, for because sure. Because you're going to get to chapter 10 and you're going to be like, well, what's next? What's next? What's... And you're going to finish it really quickly. Yeah, there, there isn't that page turning aspect to it right at the beginning because for lack of a better word, like uh, to compare it to a TV show, like it, it's a pilot episode, right? Like it's the very yeah. first episode. You need to lay out 
so much groundwork. You need to lay out all the characters. You need to explain how Harry got there. And th there's a lot, the world building. You, a lot of world exactly. building. A lot of world building. Because we have to, and this is going to go right into my next spot, which is like, what are my favorite parts about this book? So I'll ask you yours in a sec. One of my favorite parts is how much um, foreshadowing there is at the beginning yes. and all the way through, but not just the big moments. So yes, there's the, I always wanted a dragon. And then we get the Hagrid said he always wanted a dragon and someone had it like there's that, but then there's Hagrid gave Harry a flute and we need to do some music later. Oh, and Harry just happens to have a flute. Now there's like small stuff. There's big stuff. There's stuff yeah. that pays off right away to the next page. There's stuff that pays off at the end of the book. There's stuff that doesn't pay off until the middle of the last book. Again, exactly. that dragon book pays off again later. Like there's so much of that. And it's, it's so fun to, especially like reading it and the reread and the way we read it this time. That was probably my favorite part about rereading the book yes. is finding those foreshadowing spots. Well, that, and then the one that really stood out to me, and I think we had both had it as one of our quotes at, when it happened because it, it had a light bulb off and I had never realized this through any of my other rereads, but it's like when Harry's like, oh, I, you could, he could swear that Snape could read his mind, which yeah. was just brilliant, yeah. right? Like it's so well thought out and so well planned and advanced. And yeah, you, you get those really minute and really detailed payoffs that have been really fun to, to look back on. And when we're actually breaking it down chapter by chapter like this for, for myself, um, I just, I'm, I'm more so going like with, with moments and stuff, but it really picks up at the end. Like I, yeah. I loved through the trap door that is, and reliving that, is my that experience. That is my favorite part of the book as well. Going through that whole, yeah, it's almost, it's almost the whole end. It's almost like I say, if someone said, what's your favorite part of this book? I would say it's between when they get to Fluffy, play him the music to when Harry passes out. That whole yeah. final sequence is the best part. And it's awesome. It is. Absolutely. I mean, so there's that for me. And then also like the troll fight was fun. But I think what I liked about that most of all is like that was the real turning point in the friendship that we're so used to seeing between Hermione and Harry and Ron, because up until that point, they did not like each other. And so it was kind of fun to kind of look at how that really built up to be able to essentially, yeah, just have that chance for, for them to be able to get along and, and really develop that, that friendship between them as well. Um, the other thing I really liked, like my other sort of favorite part, and again, it's not a favorite part of the book. It's more of my favorite part about rereading it was I just liked meeting all the characters again at the beginning. Yeah. Like, like I, I like just seeing who they were right at the beginning and we see some immediate character growth on some of them. And we just, you know, it's fun meeting up with Percy Weasley uh, after all this time. He, he's a prefect, like. you know. <laughs> and so I really enjoyed that part. I like that. Like, it's fun. Like the names and stuff. Like, I don't know, mm -hmm. Professor Sprout, McGonagall, like they're, they're names that you don't really hear in like everyday muggle world, right? Well, I mean, I guess Ron and Harry and that type of thing. But yeah, there, there's just a lot of fun names, a lot of fun little characters that you get to meet along the way and really get to get to relive that. Uh, keeping on with our looking back, what was, so now that we're done, what is the thing that you, like sort of the biggest moment that you didn't have any recollection of whatsoever. I'm going to go with an overall thought first or an overall thing sure. that I didn't remember sure. as opposed to a moment. I mean, sure. I know, I know that there's definitely some moments, but 
when we started this and we were talking about how we wanted to like frame it and like talking about most valuable and least valuable, I recall us talking about how it'd be like, Oh, Hermione is going to just clean the floor with it. Harry and well, Ron aren't going to get anything. No, that was, <laughs> so I, I listened to that episode recently. Actually, that's not what we said quite. We said, Harry is going to be the big front runner because he is in the book the whole time. Yes. But we thought Hermione was going to be a strong competitor. Yes. Well, I, he, Regardless of that, Harry's actually more useful and more incredible yeah. than I thought rereading That's it fair. this time around. I Because I, we've read it many times before, and he's just Harry Potter. But when you actually break down like the way that he reacted when he was in danger and the way that he reacted to a lot of situations, he's actually a, a pretty incredible kid with incredible intuition yes so, that that is the thing that really jumped out to me is mm-hmm. it's not his magical skills it's how he reads situations and then infers the right thing or almost the right thing and then makes the right decision like almost all the time not mm-hmm. all the time I and mean, if it was all the time it would be boring exactly but, he is, I think we gave him, I don't think we gave him enough credit up front. Yes. Um, yeah, that was absolutely it. And so we definitely have to do that now. I've, I've come to see him in a bit of a different light now, just seeing that he was always a man of action, always had a bit of a plan. Yeah. And sometimes he would agree. I, I don't know. It's another interesting lesson. It's like, cause yeah, they, they got into trouble. They did some things that they weren't supposed to but they were always doing it because they believed it was the right thing to do. So mm-hmm. I just, I thought it was interesting that they could reflect on that and kind of realize and understand their actions. And I came to appreciate that reading it through. To me, two things really jumped out that I was surprised I didn't remember. One, that second Quidditch game. I'm still- <laughs> Which I'm one? Still, <laughs> the second one. I know, but it was so short. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I'm surprised like that that like it never never would have crossed my mind. Nope. And it had the whole Snape is refereeing Pete. Like there was like yes, it was a very quick game, but there was lead up to it. Like it was a decent enough plot point in the book. So that that was like one thing. And then I see. Because wasn't it the third one where there there was like it was caught so quickly and it ended? No, that or was, was that that was still the same one? That okay. was the second one. That was because, okay. So we we checked this out, which we talked about we we're gonna pay attention to. He only played, there's only three Quidditch games. Three that he played in, yeah. He played Slytherin and he won. He played that Hufflepuff one that he won super, super quick. Mm-hmm. And then there was the Ravenclaw one, which he missed. So over the course of the year, he uh, plays okay. three Quidditch games. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about Quidditch. Um, <laughs> but I didn't remember that point. Uh, and then that midnight duel scenario where Malfoy yes. tricks them into going to a wizard's duel and then they almost got caught. Like, and that was, that was fun. It was fun to read that as it was going because I was like, oh, oh yeah. And so that was that was like the other big moment that I didn't I didn't really remember. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. That's one of the chapters that I had kind of forgotten about. So we've had a how many pages are in this book? There are 223 pages, lots of quote options. What is your favorite quote from this book? It came from this last chapter because, and it's something that we already talked about here, but to the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. And I just, I love this quote so much. It says a lot about Dumbledore. It says a lot about being able to find peace in what you're doing now, currently, and not 
focusing on trying to live forever. It, it's a quote of, of quality over quantity. And I just, I don't know. I think that they're just great words to kind of live by as well. So for that, I, I had to go with that, that quote. I read it and then had to read it again. And I just came to really appreciate it the more that I read it. Yeah, it's a good quote. Along the same lines, my favorite quote, also from this chapter, alas, you're right. <laughs> uh, because I also didn't, I don't want to just only talk about quotes that came from this chapter because I had a fig, I kind of figured yours might as well because there's so many at the yeah. end here. Um, but I also liked at the beginning, uh, another one that like sticks out to me as an iconic quote, uh, Mr. Potter, our new celebrity. Mm -hmm. It's just one, doesn't, doesn't really mean much. It's just one that sticks out to me that I, that I know is in this book. I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I'm really excited to pick quotes from the upcoming books because I don't think they will be as like iconic to me. So I kind of agree with you because like when I, when I think of these quotes, like there's that one, I think if I'm not going to have some crackpot old fool teach me magic tricks or the no post on Sundays quote. Yep. Like there's they're so, all, ma there's so many that books. jump out and especially in the movie too, like we'll get to watch them and see them come to life. So yeah, I'm curious to see what, what will, what will come up next year as well. Last kind of thing I want to, I want to touch on before we do our, our final LVP MVP reveals is we also talked about what doesn't make sense and kind of as a whole, over the course of the book, if there's anything there you want to talk about. To me, I just have two main topics that we've kind of talked to death. So I'll just hit on them so it's out on the record. Of, to me, the biggest things that don't make sense, A, the rules of Quidditch. Yeah. It's dumb. It's just dumb. We don't need to get into it. If you want to hear me rant about it, there's like two episodes in the previous 12 that I go at, on. At least two. <laughs> at least two. Um, <laughs> and then I still have a hard time getting, getting over the fact that Harry or that Dumbledore put baby Harry on the doorstep, rang the doorbell and left. Still have a hard time with that one. Ding dong ditch. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not, not or, a good move. Remind me, is it because you think it was dangerous to leave a baby out or do you think he should have been left out elsewhere or? No, because, I, because you can't leave a baby on a doorstep. He's like, <laughs> who knows how old he is? Not he's within under a year old. You, you can't leave a baby outside. I know this. I don't have any babies, but if I did, I would say you can't leave a baby outside overnight. <laughs> Hello, good sir. Do not do this. <laughs> yeah. To me, those that, are the big fair. things. We talked about we talked about it previously, and it's sort of like overarching things that maybe don't make sense. And we sort of talked about does Dumbledore know what's going on with Quirrell and Voldemort, and yeah. why is Snape doing? But I think we don't know enough about their side of it to really say they those don't make sense yeah i think we can sort of guess enough to kind of talk though talk myself out of those ones yeah the only thing for me really was i just wizards don't have like any logical or critical thinking skills a lot like, of them why yeah. why isn't that worked into like their curriculum or school or something like that yeah, because they solving. just yeah a lot of them don't seem to be good at at problem solving and i guess that's what happens when you rely on magic too much so i get where it's coming from but it's i just find that kind of interesting and then i know it wasn't like the day in the age of internet and that the internet was probably brand new but there were like many ways in which muggles were much more efficient in gathering and obtaining information a la nicholas flamel than uh, yeah they were it seems like that they live like a little technologically disadvantaged even though they 
have the luxury of magic. So I just, I don't know, some of that stuff didn't make sense to me. And it's more, maybe more so just an observation. I saw a viral tweet go around this week that the biggest <laughs> thing that doesn't make sense about Harry Potter is that it was going on at the same time as the uh, Chicago Bulls six year run. And how is no one talking about it? And I have, <laughs> I, was, I thought about it. I'm like, that makes so much sense. And then I thought about, no, that's, that's wrong because number one, and when this book takes place, I think, I think it's 1992. Let's. I think let's, it's no. I think it's 1999. Okay, Harry Potter, Philosopher's Stone, time period. Um, 1991. Uh, okay. So, in 1991, in this book, it hasn't happened yet because he doesn't win until 92. Or no, he wins in 91, so it's happening at the time. It's just not a big deal yet. It's you know exactly. They don't realize what what age they're living in. <laughs> Number two, what it's happening in the moment, and it's maybe not quite as iconic because it's not over yet. Number three, uh, these people don't even know about uh, soccer, so how are they going to know about basketball in another <laughs> continent? And uh, number four, there's sort of a war going on. So they might have been a can, little preoccupied. I think we can give them a little bit of a pass for not talking about the Bulls, but also, yeah, it was pretty historic. But their sport, they don't. Their sport doesn't make sense, so we can't expect them to appreciate sports. Basketball. (laughs) Okay. Anything else you want to talk about Harry Potter, Philosopher's Stone? No, let's uh, let's get into what I'm most excited about, because I I don't have this in front of me here. You're the one who's been doing the the tallying and calculating. So So I'm very curious. We'll start with most valuable. Do you have a guess who's the most valuable? I think in the end, it's going to be Harry. I think Harry did a lot of useful things and was featured enough to be able to get most valuable here. The most valuable, as determined by us, under no criteria, uh, Harry Potter. Yeah. He finished with a total of 30 points. Okay. Remember, we awarded um, five points for a victory and five points for a loss this is this is our equivalent to the house cup right it doesn't yeah. make sense we're just no, doing it po- on our own <laughs> right so maybe we'll come up with some better criteria for the next book but for this one harry he finished with 30 points uh hermione finished with 25 oh that was close Dumble- and dumbledore did finish with 20 okay um if it That's- was just yours mm-hmm. harry still first with 25 points so 25 of those 30 points came from you wow Um, so and then hermione and then dumbledore if it's just me my most valuable was actually a tie between hermione and dumbledore so at the end of the day harry hermione dumbledore very um, very equivalent yeah okay that's about what to be expected too i'd say for sure in this book and we have a two-way tie for least valuable hagrid's in there hagrid's definitely in there and then Malfoy? You are zero for two. Really? Yes. So okay. we'll talk, I'll talk. Hagrid finished with zero total points. So he, he evened out. So he was awarded. You awarded him five points and then took away five points. Okay. Um, and, sorry. You awarded him five points and took away 10 points. And then- I awarded him 15 points and took away 10 points interesting so he ended up neutral he um, he started off good enough that, he did uh, yeah he did because he was but our least valuable also from the very beginning vernon dursley <laughs> he racked it up early wow he did no no mvp points for vernon 
uh, three times he was chosen least valuable. And Severus Snape, also three times okay. chosen most valuable, zero MVPs. I should have known Snape. Uh, yeah, no, that makes sense. That's actually interesting because I think, well, obviously, yeah, he spends more time outside of Hogwarts this book and kind of in that buildup. So we see that a lot more from from Vernon right at the beginning I guess so I, I can yeah. see that. I don't think I don't think I don't, that's going to continue in future books though I don't think no I don't think Vernon will be uh, an LVP going forward um, I just don't think he'll be in it enough and um, then Snape yeah Snape makes sense for sure Where, was there anyone else that was close like what were yours individually uh, uh, so individually your least valuable would have been you had a you had a bunch of people you had marked twice. So twice you hit there's a Vernon, twice you hit Coral, twice you hit Malfoy, twice you hit Hagrid. Okay. Um, for me, three times I hit Harry Potter. Um, I saved them. So, I I mean, but if you think about it, it makes sense that he is both the most valuable and at the same yeah. time the least valuable. Because if he was all good, what a terrible book to read. It's true. Yeah. And if he was all bad there's no book to even write yeah. so it, it makes sense and I wonder going forward what we're going to see out of Harry I think he is going to probably uh sit more towards the middle um because we're going to be like he's doing great great things why is he doing all these dumb things yeah and we'll maybe for the next book we should set out some some better criteria so we can have some more we can hold ourselves a bit more accountable We'll, we'll we'll show Hogwarts how to do it. When you have a point awarding system that doesn't make sense, maybe award points in, in a particular manner. We need to lead by example. Absolutely. So that's it. We are done book one. We will be back. Will we be back next week? I don't know because we haven't planned that far. But what, what we're going to do next is we are going to watch the movie, um, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, the movie starring Daniel Radcliffe and others. And we're going to take a look at just some of what it says on the movie poster starring Daniel Radcliffe and others. Probably. <laughs> um, uh, we will take a look at what things we noticed as being different. What I would like you to do is don't look up any differences before you watch it. Yeah. Watch it. Take some notes. I'll do the same. And then I'll also I'll look up some after to see what we missed or didn't miss. But we'll do that. We'll see what's different about the book. We'll talk about what we liked better in the book and the movie. We will then rank the book and the movie as to which is the best book and the best movie. Spoiler alert, they will both win that ranking number one because they are the only options. But we'll do it anyways because it's fun. Um, we'll talk about, we'll decide what else we want to rank. Um, we're going to rank um, Defense Against the Dark Arts Teachers. Wizarding Candy. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with some good topics of, of some rankings. <laughs> we may even have a special guest. We might not to be determined. But we'll be back at some point in time uh, with that. And then, of course, we're going to get started on book number two. And yeah, I, uh, what do you think? I think we should probably do like a preview episode of book number two, a short one. Um, I'm up for yeah. that. And then we'll get into it. Same thing, a couple chapters at a time. We're going to have to come up with a new episode naming convention because we can't just call things chapter one anymore. So we'll have to call, we'll have to get into seasons. Consider yeah. this season one. Season one, almost done. Awesome. If, you want to um, know when we're going to be back. Just make sure you're subscribed on all the platforms because it will just drop. Um, otherwise, 
if you're not following know. then otherwise then follow SOL. Us. give us a follow on instagram at harry potter reread podcast you can also email us if you're curious to know or you have any feedback on 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 our show and anything else you'd want to hear any other rankings maybe uh give us an email harry potter reread podcast at gmail.com and so we'll be back with another episode we're gonna try for next week but and that's it harry potter and the philosopher's stone put it in the uh put it back on the bookshelf it's put done it in the bank yes gringotts the wizard's bank i'm david that was Kyle. Bye.